Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're underground, it doesn't feel like it's part of the human world. In and around about the 18th century, I think people ventured into the cave, found a large number of human remains. Imagine that experience, scrabbling down the, into the dark, and one of the first things you come across is a lot of human remains. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn DeWire, and this is Dark History, the story of Dunmore Caves. Now, apologies if my voice is a little nasally today. I have a cold at the moment. However, this is the first show of 2020 and I'm really excited about what's ahead of us because I reckon it's a bit of a first for podcasting in Ireland. I'm standing at the mouth of a cave system, one of the larger ones in Ireland, and this show is going to be recorded inside this cave, a place with a fascinating history. For over a thousand years, humans have been coming here to this cave, that's Dunmore Cave. And it's not just out of curiosity and exploration. Thousands of human bones have been discovered in the cave, the show is going to be recorded in. How they got there is the subject of debate and a certain degree of mystery. Were they deposited, essentially buried in the cave, or is there a darker story behind these bones? Because, as you will hear, the Vikings have a long and at times violent history associated with this part of Ireland. Now, joining me on today's podcast is the archaeologist and podcaster Neil Jackman. You might remember Neil from the episode on the Hellfire Club, but maybe I'll let Neil introduce himself. Hi, Finn. Thanks so much for having me, and hello to everyone. It's actually a beautiful day above ground here. So it is. It's a shame to be going down into a, into a cave. <laughs> it is a little For bit. a wintry morning, it, it, it's pretty good. It is. But, uh, yeah, so as you say, we um, I, I'm an archaeologist myself, but uh, I started a podcast uh, reasonably recently called Amplify Archaeology, where I get to chat to all manner of experts on different subjects. I just recorded one there with Damien Shields on conflict archaeology. So if you're interested in how we know things from the past, you know, the process of archaeology, you might enjoy that. So before me and Neil head down into the cave, I just want to talk first to John McInerney, who's a guide here at Dunmore. And John's going to explain a bit about what lies beneath the surface here. So maybe, John, could you explain to listeners at home exactly what me and Neil are going to see when we get down into the cave, maybe to paint a picture of how big it is, what, what exactly does the cave look like? 
Okay, what you've got is uh, accessible is three chambers on three separate levels. You've got 400 meters of passageway that is lit for the um, visitors to come through and, and see. All the different sorts of formation, all the calcite formations, stalactites and mites, etc. And we explain all the differences between the two, how they got there, approximate ages, because everything is very ish when you're talking formations, you know? On that topic then, roughly, when was the cave formed? Like how old is this cave? We have formation down there that they date approximately a million years old. Wow. So we're going to be talking about history today, which is obviously yeah. something in the blink of an eye compared yeah. to this. Yeah. When was the cave first accessible to humans? So I guess when did... I'm looking down, just to explain to people at home, into the mouth of the cave now. And it's quite... It's a large uh, opening. When was that first accessible to humans? Okay. Now, the uh, first recording of the use of this place is in the 9th century by the Irish triads. And we were recorded as one of the three darkest places in Ireland. Now, the other two would be Newgrange and Nowth, which, as you know, are both man-made megalithic tombs what that tells us is that this place was the first known cave in Ireland. The others were there, same sort of age periods and the likes, but we were the first known cave worthy of being written about. And getting down to the cave today is much easier than it would have been at any point in its history. There's a huge series of steps. Roughly how far down does it go in terms of metres and steps? Maybe again to give people a painted picture. Okay, of right, okay, with you. Okay, what you've got there is 706 stairs on the round trip. So there's okay. a lot of steps. We've a long way to go. A long way to go. The lowest part of the cave that the, the normal tour gets to is around 50 metres. Uh, that's okay. down in the main hall there. Uh, the entrance, that was uh, in and around 3,500 years ago. So the cave was being formed before it was sort of accessible, if you like. Uh, the OPW, the state body, took over in 1940. Uh, there was an archaeological dig in 1973. Uh, and then the stairs, lights and all the work went in and it was open to the public uh, July 1978. Before me and Neil head into the cave then, can you just explain to people at home that they can come here, that it's open to the public? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean it's a compulsory guided tour which makes a lot of sense. Uh, we don't have set time tours, it would be supply and demand. Or you would need really essential shoes and a coat because it's always 9-10 degrees down there. Great stuff, well thanks very much John. I'll put all the links uh, in the show notes so people will be able to find out more about this yeah. at home. Thanks a million, John. So we've moved down into the cave. We're probably a couple of hundred steps maybe down a bit now. You might be able to hear in the background, you can still hear the birds outside. There's water dripping. We're at the edge, I suppose, of the cave. We can still see light. And maybe here, uh, Neil, if you could just explain a bit about the general archaeology of caves because well later on we're going to move on to the specific history and archaeology of vikings in relation to uh, dunmore cave human beings have been drawn to caves like dunmore not just in ireland but across the world for a long long time and even before there were human beings as well you know earlier hominid species have used caves lived in caves you know treated them as ritual spaces from at least the upper paleolithic onwards people have been heading into the deepest and darkest bits of the cave. Um, if you think of Lascaux, for example, in France and places like that where they create incredible art um, that uses the contours of the cave, uses the natural surface. And, and you know, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with Lascaux and the beautiful cave art. And these are obviously places of importance to people. 
and even standing here at the cave mouth, it, it is very much a liminal space. It's something you feel like you're crossing a real distinctive boundary. You can still see the light on one side, but you can certainly see the darkness stretching away to the other. So. And just actually to come in there, something that strikes me about a cave like this, mm -hmm. we've been able to come down a series of steps. If you came here before the steps were put in, accessing the cave, which we know and we're going to hear about humans have been doing for over a thousand years, mm -hmm. would have been very difficult. So obviously, yeah. there's been an attachment to places like this, like you touched on ritual there. Mm -hmm. um, I guess places like this have that ritual symbolism, mm -hmm. um, aside from just the... Um, want to explore a desire to explore i think so in a, in a way it's almost like I, I think the journey and the difficulty of the journey to caves or the exact opposite mountaintops is part of the point as well that it is um you know it, it's a pilgrimage is a very christian word but it's that same kind of sense of you're traveling somewhere and the journey is as important as the end destination to get into the dark of the cave or the peak of a mountain, you know? Um, so there is something, I think, that crosses cultures um, about that to get into these natural places. Um, caves, I must say as well, have been important ritual places. They do have a very practical use as well. They maintain a very constant temperature. It's slightly warmer in here, I would imagine, I think, than it is yeah, outside it today. It's a bit warmer than it was up at the surface. Yeah, so they keep this constant temperature, so that's good for storage and things like that. When we think of souterrains in early medieval archaeology, what are they but artificial caves? Um, so, you know, there is a practical use to people using them as well. They were kind of thinking back to the very early humans using them. They were relatively easily defended from wild animals and things like that there's shelter there's safe in some ways you know so like there, there is that aspect to them too as well as um the, the kind of the more religious aspect i think one of the really interesting things i read uh, last year that really looked at humanity's existence with you know the underworld for want of a better word it was a book called underland by robert mcfarlane it, one of the lines he has in it is that in these places in the underworld it's where we put things that we fear and we wish to be rid of or conversely things that we love and wish to preserve so, on that i think mm. what we might do is head into an area known as the cathedral and maybe mm -hmm. we can start talking about some of these things, things we fear or possibly love being deposited because that happened here yes. at Dunmore. So we've journeyed further into the cave now. Maybe the echo is a bit stronger. I don't know if you can hear that, but certainly for us, I think the echo is a little bit stronger in here. There's water dripping down. We're looking at a pretty incredible formation, though, and this is called the cathedral. I mean, you, when you look ahead of us, you can see why there's an, almost a natural dome formation. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this maybe reinforces why places like this must have been remarkable in the medieval period and afterwards. Mm -hmm. When you come in here, if you can only imagine, say, if people had burning torches and the light dancing off the rocks and the shadows being cast and then seeing this really remarkable natural feature, yeah. it's easy to understand why somewhere like this would be a special place. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the big sweeping arch of it and, uh, you know, it, it's such a striking place. And we must bear in mind as well that, you know, whether there were people in early medieval Ireland or whether it, it was uh, the Vikings that we'll discuss a little later on, 
people have been telling stories about caves, you know, as we were kind of talking about earlier. The Epic of Gilgamesh is one of the earliest stories that we have that talks about, uh, uh, you know, the hero trying to escape from the underworld. Um, of course, the Greek myths, Hades, uh, things. So when you come into a place like this and it feels different and it's so grandiose by torchlight, you know, we have artificial light in here which still captures a lot of the atmosphere, but imagine coming in and it's pitch black apart from you and the torch. It, it would be quite something, I think. Maybe if we move the conversation more specific to Dunmore, though, because we know that people have been coming here for over a thousand years, that this was special in this area. And maybe in a general sense, Neil, mm-hmm. could you just talk a little bit about what we know was happening here? Like, was it burials? Was it... Uh, deposits, what were human beings from the archaeology, what, what were they doing here? It's a, it's a really interesting question, I know we'll talk a little bit about the, the, the Vikings in a little while um, and the famous story of 930 and so on, but um, it seems to have one, uh, I, I suppose people took note of this place in, in, in terms of what we know from recorded history um, in and around about the 18th century, I think people ventured into the cave, found a large number of human remains. No. So that would indicate there was a connection to death anyway, on some oh, yeah, level. Absolutely, yeah. That's a debate. We'll talk about whether it was violence or uh, the equivalent of burial. Yeah. But that this place had considerable numbers of people buried in this. And if you, maybe yeah. just talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, it, it's hard to know. Um, Dr. Marion Dowd would be the leading expert on, on cave archaeology in the country. And uh, looking at uh, Marion's work from the mid-2000s, uh, she was involved when the OPW uh, were putting in new lighting systems, I think, into the cave. Um, and she made a number of discoveries of, of human remains then. The larger amounts of bones that were found in the 18th century uh, we don't know too much about, I don't, as far as I am aware, were, you know, how they were laid out and things like that, whether they were articulated skeletons or whether they were kind of jumbles and, and, and disturbed. Um, there was further excavations in the 1970s too. Um, and again, I, I wouldn't be an expert on that, but I know that from reading Marion's report and so on, it didn't seem like they were fully laid out burials as such that she was finding. It seemed to be more kind of disturbed human remains that was, you know, after analysis, gave us an indication that there was, you know, children uh, that were neonates, that means, you know, they either died at childbirth or they were, you know, buried with a a woman who died while she was pregnant, all the way through to um, juveniles, adults as well. uh, So you had men, women and children interred in here, uh, which is quite interesting. That touches on another aspect of the cave. I actually grew up not far from here. I'm originally mm. from Castle Comer. And obviously Dunmore Cave was a feature in the landscape that people would yeah. have known about. But there was two stories uh, always associated with the cave when I was growing up. One, that there was a tunnel from the cave either into the castle or the town hall into Kenny. I'm not sure why you'd have a tunnel into the town hall, but that used <laughs> to be a story. And it, it, I actually found that in the... Uh, folklore archive collected in the 1930s as well, this idea that there's a tunnel from Wonderful. here into yeah. the... But the second one was the association of the cave with the Alice Kittler uh, witchcraft trial. Now, mm. I've made a three-part uh, podcast series on that trial, and people, if you want to know the background to that, I'd recommend listening to it. Yeah. But it's basically Alice Kittler being one of the first people um, accused of witchcraft in Ireland and tried for it. Um, but I guess what I'm getting at is 
it's easy to see how stories like that could emerge if in mm. that 18th to 19th century people are coming down into the darkness here. And even in the 18th and 19th century, it's worth bearing in mind there's no electric lighting. Yeah. They're accessing and seeing the cave very yeah. much in the same way as people in the early medieval period would have seen it. And it's easy to see how a story then, if they're coming out and saying, there's this cave down there, it's full of uh, yeah. human remains, yeah. how these, I suppose, supernatural associations, I'm thinking of Alice Kittler, uh, get yeah. associated with it. Absolutely. I mean, imagine that experience. You're coming down, you know, you're interested, you're curious, you're intrigued, you're coming down, scrabbling down the, into the dark with the torches, perhaps with a couple of companions, and one of the first things you come across is a lot of human remains. You know, that is, um, it's an experience that you can really see would create stories and develop stories around it. And the Alice Kittner connection is really interesting as well because. In later periods, in, certainly in British witchcraft and things like that, there's this whole association of witches and caves. I guess know? it comes back to that idea of the underworld. Yes, um, exactly. And I, I don't think you need apart. to be an expert in paganism or anything to no, see no, that. No, no, it, no. It's the obvious connection yes. that these places that go down into the earth yeah. are somehow uh, connected with uh, diabolical uh, association. And yeah. it's easy to see how they make that connection in terms of witchcraft. I think that that's it. It's, when you're down here, it's different to being on top of a mountain. Even Mountains can feel very otherworldly in a lot of different ways, but when you're underground, it doesn't feel like it's part of the human world at all. So it's, especially when you see these kind of, you know, different rock formations and things like that, the light from the torches would be cast in all manner of shadows. It's very easy to feel like you're on, you know, you've descended into Hades or hell or some kind of different environment altogether. It, it has its own particular feel to it. And even looking around it now, and you're looking at some of these rock formations that almost look alien, <laughs> you know, uh, in, they, they just aren't like your lived experience. There is actually, uh, as Neil says that, I looked over <laughs> my shoulder and there's a static plate behind me that looks remarkably like a... The uh, species from the film Alien. It does, yeah, that, <laughs> that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, it really does, and it's quite striking. Yeah. Um, maybe what we might do from here is head to the other end of the cave, and there we can start talking about the Vikings, because we know of a very specific event that took place here, and there's a very interesting connection between that event and some of the human remains. I might take a break in the podcast here, but we're going to uh, talk about the Vikings and the Viking Association with uh, Dunmore Cave, which is an extraordinary story. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Recently, I had a minor argument with a close friend that brought up things from my past that I really needed to get off my chest. I think we've all been there. Now, I found therapy a really great way to work through these issues. For me, I really like online therapy, and BetterHelp is a really great online service that allows you to make space for therapy no matter how busy you are. BetterHelp is convenient, affordable, and gives you the support you need, but also works around your schedule. It's really easy to get up and running with a therapist on BetterHelp. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can do your sessions by text, phone, or video call, whichever suits you best. It's all about flexibility, working around your schedule. At the moment, BetterHelp are offering listeners to the show 10% off their first month. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash irishhistory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash irishhistory. We're about midway in our journey through the cave to where we want to go. Um, we've retraced our steps about 50 or 60 metres and we've come to the back of the cave where we, in the distance now we can see the light coming in. However, there's a small little passageway about four metres over our heads from the cave floor and that's where we're heading. Now today there's a spiral metal staircase that makes this very accessible but I just want to highlight this to you given the stories we're going to talk about, how inaccessible this part of the cave would have been back in the early medieval period. As I say, it's about four or five metres above uh, the surface of the cave. So what we're going to do is head on up there and we're going to have a fascinating chat about the Vikings and their association with Dunmore Cave. So we've now reached a chamber with some of the most fascinating history of Dunmore Cave. But before we go into that, John, can you just explain a bit to people at home this chamber that we're in? It feels actually quite different to anywhere else we've been in terms of the atmosphere and temperature definitely is different. Can you just explain where we are? Okay, right. We are at the moment in the town hall chamber. It is the highest of the three chambers that you're going to visit. It's the nearest to the surface, if you like. The highest part of this chamber goes within 10 metres of the surface. You will be in the southeast corner of the cave complex, if you like. Yeah. Um, formation-wise, this is where the big stuff is. This is where the big formations up in this chamber here. Uh, the market cross just over the way. We'll probably talk about that in a second or two. Do you want to just explain to people what that is? Okay. Uh, the market cross. It is a freestanding stalagmite, uh, and it's, it's dated. And got to bear in mind, cave dating is always very ish, in and around a million years old. And it's best part of just short of seven metres high. Just to explain to people, this is absolutely incredible it's a, it's rock a, formation it's a, yeah, it's ahead a of us here. lovely piece of formation. Uh, it's all made out of calcium carbonate, that's CaCO3, and it's an accumulation. Anything, uh, anything coming from the floor is a mite, anything coming from the roof is a tight. So this is a stalagmite, and it's got a lot of different visions depending on the... Uh, 
the person looking at it. Some people can see uh, a pint of Guinness with the head overflowing off to the right there. Some people see a hand holding across the bottom of the glass. Oh, yeah, I can see that, yeah. It depends on what your imagination wants it to be. Yeah, but it's an absolutely fabulous piece of form, and it is the biggest uh, in uh, Ireland. Again, coming back to something that we talked about earlier, so I explained how accessing this chamber is quite difficult, Mm. particularly before the spiral Mm. staircase was put in. But then when you see things like this, uh, static might, you can only imagine what this must have been like. The people who had to really journey to get back here. uh, And again, that idea of maybe a burning torch flickering off that and the shadows that it would have cast must have been quite incredible. Yeah, you, you put the effort in to come up here and this is the reward when you do get to this end of the chamber there. Even uh, today. Like e- even as, today. Like we're walking along perfectly flat surfaces, a spiral staircase, as I say. Mm. Even today, to f- come and see this is quite mm. incredible. So following on from John's really vivid uh, description of where we are now, there's also a fascinating history mm. associated with this chamber. So one of the most iconic events that took place in the history of Dunmore was in around the year 930. There was a battle above ground, very close to the uh, mouth of the cave. Huge numbers of people were killed. Now, in the locality, it was often thought that large numbers of people came down into this very location where we are now to take refuge from the Vikings. After their victory in the battle, the Vikings supposedly came down into the cave, lit fires, and essentially uh, suffocated Mm. Uh, large numbers of people in this chamber. But Neil, maybe do you want to expand on what happened? So we're in the year 930. Mm. Ireland is a very, very unstable place. The idea of people taking refuge in a cave like this Mm. from a battle above ground is actually not uh, out of sync with the history of the time. So maybe do you want to elaborate more on... No, it's a real... um, It's a really interesting period. uh, And, you know, by interesting, I mean probably horrible for the people who lived through it, you know, because you had... um, different kingdoms rising and falling all the time and you had in in the middle of that you had the Vikings uh, arriving in a large kind of second wave particularly the Vikings arriving into Waterford that come in around about the year 914 uh, Ivar and his, uh, the descendants of him um, they form alliances with Irish kingdoms they break alliances with Irish kingdoms and the Vikings fight Vikings Vikings fight Irish. it's a very very tempestuous period um, what's interesting about this particular case is that you have multiple historical sources pointing to one event in and around the year 930, as you say. So you have the Annals of Ulster, the Annals of Inishfallen, the Annals of the Four Masters, and the Chronicon Scotorum. Now, it's important to note that not all of those are contemporary uh, with the events. Uh, you know, some of them, the Annals of the Four Masters, are centuries later, indeed. But they all record this Viking massacre. They all uh, record that it happened in a place called Dirk Ferner. Now, the reason that's believed to be here at Dunmore is that locals, uh, this cave was known as Dirk Ferner in the locality in the 19th century. So people have put two and two together. And of course, with all the human remains, it made sense that, you know, this would be the point of, the, uh, uh, of where it all happened. The idea of the massacre being associated with this part of the cave. Mm. It's very evocative. It's very mm. easy to see. We've talked about darkness. Yeah. Um, the idea of maybe men, women and children being huddled up here. Yeah. Maybe hearing screams of a battle. And I remember yeah. coming here as a child, and I might ask John to do this, mm. uh, just to turn off the lights for a second back here. But yeah. I guess what I'm trying to get across is this is total darkness in a way 
you cannot experience anywhere else because there's no light at all. No, and darkness is something we're not used to at all in our modern life. There's artificial light everywhere. Darkness and silence are almost completely alien to us now. So it's, we're not used to them. So <laughs> what I'm going to do is ask John uh, to turn out the lights. Literally, there's the lights coming up off the microphone and there's nothing else. When you look in any direction, you can't see anything. Now, I think this really creates an evocative idea that if you have people up in this level of darkness and the idea, you can't move around, like you can't see anything, you can't see your feet, you can't see anything. The idea helps create a very evocative uh, story of people dying in this cave. Now, that was, to a degree, supported by archaeology initially, but Neil, the picture of the human remains that were found here um, is more complex. I might actually ask John to turn on the light again because yeah. <laughs> it, it, that, that is quite something when you're in the, the, the pitch black. It, it really is. Um, yeah, it, it's, I suppose it's like anything with archaeology. Very rarely does it give you a definitive, definite answer on things. Yep. Sometimes it gives you better questions to ask if you're lucky, right? Um, but because, there was so, because of those historical connections... And because of the quantity of human remains, traditionally, the, certainly up till um, Marion kind of reassessed a lot of the remains with Dr. Linda Lynch uh, analysing the remains, the, there was certainly the picture, because of that strong historical story, that these were victims of the Viking massacre. And in fact, one of the most common stories, I even put it in my own guidebook to Islands Ancient East, uh, I did featured 100 archaeological sites and Dunmore being one of them, um, was that the Vikings uh, almost killed all the people down here by accident. The, they had a look, they saw it was a massive cave system and thought, we'll smoke them out, lit large fires, and you know the people inside unfortunately suffocated because the oxygen was burned out. So looking at the human, you know, the, there's two stories then of massacre. There's one, people were slaughtered down here, or the second option is that they suffocated down here. Um, so when Linda Lynch looked at the human remains, not one of them showed any marks of trauma or violence. So there was so we no can rule out the idea that the Vikings came down here and physically chopped, yeah. chopped into people. Yeah. Well, poss- I mean, as I say, there's a large amount of the human remains have never been yeah. studied. You know, the ones yeah. found, the majority hasn't been studied. Yeah. But certainly, of the ones that were looked at. There was no marks of violence. There was no sword cuts, which traditionally, you know, you can see other examples in the archaeological sites where people have died by blades, axes, swords, and things like that. None of that. And also, archaeology has never revealed any large-scale burning anywhere in the cave. You know, at the mouth of the cave yeah. or deeper into the cave, there's not been any signs of large fires. So, and especially the type of fire you would need to disrupt the oxygen in a cave as large and extensive and complex as this as well. So if they weren't massacre victims, if they weren't killed accidentally or deliberately, how did all these human remains get in here? And I think that in itself is an interesting story. Definitely, and uh, me and Neil talked a bit about this before we started, and I think Mm. this equally conjures up, uh, I think, uh, maybe unsettling ideas of uh, ritual and things like that Mm -hmm. in in the cave. But maybe to talk a bit about, that brings us on to this idea that the cave might have been used for, uh, or that people could have gotten here Mm -hmm. 
by other means mm -hmm. is actually some of the um, deposits found here. Like there was a hoard from 930 yeah. uh, around the time of the battle, yes. um, yeah. which would indicate maybe the Vikings have a different association and not necessarily with um, attacking people in the cave. That's it. It, it. It's an interesting story. When you start to kind of think about this, and Marion writes about this really well, when you start to think about, well, if they weren't slaughtered down here, what happened? Um, the, the other thing as well is that most of the artifacts found here have Viking associations. So it was, you know, they, they seem to be things like beads, for example, um, that you know, seem to be classically Viking in origin, Scandinavian in origin. Um, pins, personal, items of personal dress that presumably the people who had died in here were wearing, as well as two hearts. So if, if there were people, the people who died in here appear to have been Scandinavian. They appear to have been Vikings. There is another cave. Uh, so, is it a Viking burial ground? Uh, you know, similar to Clahomor Cave. And that might explain, say, the presence of human remains back here and mm. then up in the cathedral chamber where mm. we, we were, um, because these are the least accessible parts of the cave. And yeah. obviously, if you're burying someone, you want to put them. You don't want them somewhere where they're going to be disturbed by someone who rambles into the cave like mm -hmm. if you were burying someone back up here the chance yeah. of someone else disturbing it are slim well that's it and, and actually you know that that's further kind of asks a further question about the the story about the massacre too if there were irish people that were killed in here wouldn't other irish people have wanted to give them a traditional christian burial you know that's part of it too so they are in inaccessible places there are two depositions of hearts in here as well there's the one related as you say to the um to that event in the kind of 930. There's a later one as well, which has, again, woven wire buttons, very high status items. There was silks there that have been um, identified as being of extremely high status. And it makes you think about, you know, there have been other cases where Vikings have used caves almost as refuges for raiding. It's almost like an Alibaba-style okay. story, you know, that this is where they're stashing the loot and they're going out from. But that might so, again come back to if there is associations with caves as being dangerous places, with yep. being we're better to hide uh, wealth because you you're know that people are less likely to come down somewhere like here. Exactly. It, it's not just that it's... Um, uh, physically difficult to access. It's on a. On a it's supernaturally, a, yeah. you know, you scary. Want, or yeah, something. you don't want yeah. to come down here. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, that that could be a potential thing as well. It it really asks the question if this was, you know, and and that's what I mean about archaeology not really giving you a dead straight answer every time, right? So there's still the possibility that these people could have died as a result of that conflict. There's that is a really. Uh, I, I prefer the other one because <laughs> just standing here when the lights went out, the yeah. I, that idea of, of that level of, or that kind of death in total darkness, mm. like not that that could be a pleasant death in any way, but no. the idea of total darkness, not even being able to see. Mm. your hand in front of your face let alone mm. maybe a loved one beside you yeah exactly it's it, a horrible thought yeah it really is it, a, it, a, it's, a, it's a deeply unsettling thought it's still I think a potential possibility because of course we've not analysed all of the remains that came course, from Dunbar okay? yeah. so we can't definitively rule it out so you're only looking at what's uh, the most likely circumstantial evidence okay so then there's another theory then that it, perhaps it was used as a viking burial ground and, and or a scandinavian origin just on, on that neil mm. that also highlights maybe or the, 
there's a complexer history of the Vikings For if, sure. if that is yeah. the case so we're talking about just to explain to people again Dunmore is inland it's just a bit north of Kilkenny City mm-hmm. not somewhere you would have traditionally associated with say a Viking settlement for example if the Vikings were uh, uh, using this as a burial ground it yeah. would indicate a Viking presence though yeah. on a more permanent basis than maybe what we initially would have regarded as the Vikings mm-hmm. um, limited to more coastal areas you, well that's a really good point and, and you know th- there are Viking inland sites for sure but what could be an alternative explanation for that is that the people who died in here were Irish but they traded a lot with the Vikings. If you think about Ballinderry Cranog, for example, there was a lot of Viking material found there, but that was definitely an Irish site. So they were trading for Viking swords, they were trading for Viking jewellery and, and, and so on. They were the biggest traders of the period. So, you know, perhaps that's an explanation. You know, what would be really interesting, um, and I don't know if it's possible, I don't know whether there is the opportunity to do further research and excavations and so on. Um, it'd be great to talk to Marion about that is if you could do, um, you know, the isotopic analysis through the teeth could tell you where they grew up, um, essentially, or you can even do ancient DNA. Lara Cassidy is doing some really interesting work with that at the moment. I don't know is there enough human remains to be able to do that for ancient DNA. For example, you need a particular piece of the skull. It's a a part of an evil to do that. So I I don't know. But um, I would be really, really interested to, to find out. And one of the biggest mysteries or one of the biggest stories, I think, in the history of this period could become a little bit clearer, perhaps. I think it is. It also highlights that thing of there's the natural tendency to always lurch for the um, sensational, the violence, the battle. Yeah. When somewhere like Dunmore certainly adds a more complex picture. Yeah. You know, there was certainly more going on here than just a bunch of people were massacred and that's it. Yes. Like even yeah. the fact that we know there's two Viking hordes here mm-hmm. would indicate that they were using the cave yes, yeah, semi-regularly. Yeah. Maybe that is tied into the way other people understood the cave. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I think, you know, in, in defence of the, the original story, and as I say, I, I put it in the book myself before I started to, to research much more deeply into some of these stories. It was kind of the accepted one, the, the one of the massacre. You have multiple annals given that story and you have this tradition going on for a long, long time. So it's really hard to change a story until you actually start to look at the physical evidence. And that's where archaeology and history uh, really can marry together to, yep. to create those levels. If you just looked at it through one aspect, you wouldn't get the full picture. You need both. And in fact, you need to go a step further and do some more scientific analysis as well as historical and archaeological to look at the ancient DNA, look at the isotopes and things like that to really complete the picture of who these people were that were interned in the cave. That's brilliant. Thanks, Neil. What I think we might do now is head back out towards the entrance. I'm going to Mm. talk a bit to John about um, maybe more contemporary stories associated with the cave, particularly one uh, from the War of Independence. And then maybe at the very top, me and Neil will talk a little bit more about the um, history and archaeology uh, just to, to remind people again, Neil has his podcast. It's called Amplify Archaeology. Check that out. There's some really great interviews there. And it touches on various different aspects of things that Neil has talked about. So check that out. It's Amplify Archaeology. But yeah, we're going to make our way out maybe towards the entrance. And I'll talk to John, uh, as I say, about uh, more contemporary stories from the cave uh, on the way out. So we've retraced our steps and we're back near the mouth of the cave. 
But John is going to talk a little bit now about more contemporary histories because Dunmore Cave wasn't just uh, used back in the early medieval period, but uh, there's a famous account of events here during the War of Independence, John. Mm, yeah, there's a lovely book by uh, Judge Comerford. It's called My IRA Days, and there's a whole chapter about his visit to the cave one evening with a bunch of locals. Uh, and he was part of the local Mukali IRA brigade. And what they were looking for was the fabled second entrance to the cave so that they could use it as a, a sanctuary um, so they could dash down here and, and escape from the tans and likes. Um, they spent the whole evening down here. I think there was four or five of them. It's a lovely, lovely read because it tells of all the cutting across the fields and hiding behind the hedges so in case they got seen from the main Castle Coma Road there. Uh, there was a lady that um, uh, furbished them with uh, tea and a couple of sandwiches to come down, a proper little picnic, you know, and they went all over the cave looking for the second entrance. Uh, they were going to use it to hide. The, the uh, tans would come in, they would escape out the second entrance, possibly heading towards Muckley, that direction there. Uh, they never found the entrance, so they abandoned the whole uh, project. It would be nice for them to have found it, though. Really, really would. Really, really special. It's a great anecdote and kind of highlighting the idea that this yeah. place has always drawn people oh, through yeah. this history. Like, like yeah. we're talking a thousand years through from actually 930 yeah. through to 1921, nearly yeah. on, right on. Yeah, and still, it still holds the unknown, like the fabled second entrance. You know? That's fantastic, John. Thanks a million for your You're time. You're welcome. You're more than Me welcome. Me and Neil are going to talk a little bit more about the history of the archaeology back at the surface. I don't know if people at home can hear it, but you can kind of hear we're moving back through the cave because now you can hear birds. the birds outside. <laughs> yeah, the jack doors. Much further. Yeah. And actually, oddly, uh, we are now, it's getting colder as we move back to the surface. I'm, it was much warmer it is colder. in the other chambers. It is far colder, yeah, because that was 9.4 and 10.2 respectively, in the chambers okay. we've just been in. I'd say we're dropping down now back maybe to about two or three degrees. Wow. So there is a big difference. The influence is at the entrance. Once you get back into the further sort of, uh, the further realms, it will stay a constant temperature. It's perfect for white wine. I'm not telling you where you have it. <laughs> John, <laughs> thanks very much. You're welcome. We're a little bit out of breath. We've come up the steps from the cave. But Neil, we really feel like we're emerging into a different world. It's a lovely sunny day. The yeah. birds are singing. And yeah, the, the contrast between the cave and here is remarkable. Yeah, I mean, it feels very much like you cross a threshold when you come back up through the uh, the mouth of the cave. You're reborn into the new world or something like that. It's so much brighter. It might yeah. be a little bit colder, but it's so much brighter. The birds are cowing and everything else. It, it does feel like there's a lot more life up here you know it, it is really distinctive it, it, it's quite uneasy so you could see how it has you know developed into a, yeah absolutely like that people felt if you're burying someone back down yeah. there you're yeah. definitely going into a different world a- absolutely and it feels like a world of the dead in a sense you know which sounds very dramatic and so on but i think when you're in the depths of a cave it does feel like a different no, it has place. That, definitely without mm. doubt um with that i'm going to bring the show to an end um Firstly, I'd like to thank Neil for coming up. Thanks a million, Neil. And don't forget to check out Neil's podcast. That's Amplify Archaeology. I'll have links to it in the show notes. But yeah, thanks a million, Neil, for coming up. Oh, thanks a million for inviting me. I mean, what a brilliant day to go down to such an incredible place with a massive story there. A story that hopefully will develop into the future as well. 
Yeah. Also, I'd like to thank John for his expert knowledge. Having someone on the podcast that's been at this site yeah. for decades, you get that level of knowledge that I think is probably irreplaceable. You won't get that anywhere else. No, absolutely. I mean, he's a brilliant storyteller. But um, to begin with, uh, I, but he, he you know, he really brings the character of the place to life. And I think, I, I you know, if I can do anything, it's to say to your listeners, please come and visit uh, Dunmore. Agree, yeah. It's fantastic. It's quite an experience. It's kind of place you can go on a bad day too because you're underground. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like so. Um, but no, it is an incredible place, and it is something quite different. So if you get the opportunity, please do come and see it. That's brilliant. Thanks, Neil. I'll be back next week with a very different show. Uh, but until then, Sloan. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 